in a series called The Five Gifts of Jesus. And this is not to be confused with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we strongly believe in. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but this is the gifts of Jesus. And if you want to know the difference, the gifts of Jesus equip us, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit empower us. And we'll talk about that later on in the year. It comes from Ephesians 4, 8 through 13. When Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to his people. His gifts were to the church. So if you're not planted a local church, you cannot receive these gifts. He himself appointed some people as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to fully equip the saints. Everybody say, I'm a saint. For the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all become a mature believer. So um, only some people have these gifts, and they're used to equip the rest of us on really what these gifts kind of do. In other words, um, the apostle equips us with a vision to carry out, because that's what the apostle does. Um, the, the, the prophet we talked about last week, the prophet equips us to hear from God so we can be encouraged to move forward in life. Today we're going to talk about the evangelist, the evangelist. And I want to give you a little um, visual of these five gifts uh, in work. So you know what? In fact, put the scripture before back on there, the Ephesians 4, so they can see the five gifts. The, the uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. So the evangelists, and for a lack, I'm just making it very easy to understand. This might not be theologically perfect, but the evangelist gets them saved. The evangelist leads them to Jesus. Now, after they're led to Jesus, they need to get in a church. So the apostle has a vision for a ministry, and he sends the pastor to pastor the church. So the apostle starts the church. In this case, my apostle, Reverend Randall, allowed me to be the apostle of this church. So I planted this church, but I'm also the pastor. So the person that got saved under the evangelist now looks for a church. And the pastor trains them and leads them and has a relationship, building them, growing them. Well, along the way, they want to go really, really deep in the Word so they find a teacher. And there are teachers in our congregation that teach them the, the, the depth of the soul and the heart of God from the Word of God. Well, you know, it gets kind of discouraging sometimes in life, so you need a prophet. Someone that can prophesy to encourage you to keep moving forward. And that is those five gifts in action. You see, the evangelist gets them saved. The apostle helps start the church. The pastor pastors over the church, so the saved person goes to the church. They need a teacher to go deep in the word. And when they get discouraged, they find a prophet to encourage them, to motivate them to keep going forward in life. That's the five gifts. So today we're talking about the evangelist, part three. And uh, uh, the evangelists, um, their main goal is just to win people to Jesus. That's their main goal. When you think of evangelists, you think of Billy Graham, right? Greatest evangelist America ever had. Well, there's other evangelists. Joel Osteen is an evangelist. Um, Joyce Meyer is an evangelist. Jerry Savelle, who we had here in our service. And, you know, I really don't like the fact that, first of all, I don't like when any Christian says anything bad about anybody. But Christians will bash Joel Osteen, saying he doesn't use enough scripture, he's not very deep, he doesn't teach us anything. Listen, that's because that's not his gift. His gift is to evangelize. Just get him saved. Now, he might have the title or position of a pastor, but his gift is evangelism. That's why everyone loves him, because his goal is, I just want them to find Jesus. I just want them to find Jesus. At the end of everything he preaches, he gives an altar call to find Jesus. That's his goal. He's doing what he was called to do. But then people need a pastor if they're going to keep growing and being trained, and a teacher to get them deep in the Word. He just gets them saved. And usually evangelists, they take their main story and they just kind of spend their whole life preaching it. You know, Billy Graham just preached repentance, 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 get them saved. 
Joel Osteen is encouragement, 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 get them saved. Joyce Meyer is battlefield of the mind and everyday life, just get them saved. Jerry Savelle that was here preached favor. Everywhere he goes, he preaches favor because the goal is, I want to find Jesus. They don't preach about the Ten Commandments. They don't go about the blood of Christ and the sacrificial lamb and all these other things. It's just get them saved. Do you understand the purpose of the evangelist? Um, now, Jerry Savelle, who was here, great man of God, wonderful man of God, if he preached every Sunday as a pastor on favor, after about a year you'd think, you know what, I think I need to hear something else. I think I need to grow more, right? Because he's not a pastor. He's an evangelist. So what is an evangelist? Point number one for your notes is this. An evangelist equips us with the good news or the gospel. Um, I'm going to say something, and I'm not meaning to be rude. It's just funny. But when me and all my pastor friends get together, we laugh and say, man, I wish we were an evangelist. And we say, why? Because evangelists, all they need is three good sermons. They can preach for 30 years, the same three sermons, and they never have to have a relationship with anybody. They just go to a church, get them saved, and then leave. Leave them for the pastor to deal with. So we always joke around about how evangelist is the easiest one. I'm sure it's not, but we just see it like that. But anyway, so they equip us with the good news of the gospel. Um, I know how much you love Greek. In the Greek dictionary, the word gospel is right next to the word evangelist. Now, I know in our English dictionary it's not, but in the Greek dictionary they're right next to each other, and I want to show you why, and it's going to take me a few minutes to get to my point, so stay with me. So, in the Greek dictionary, the word angelos, I wanted to show you this, is the word for angel. You can write that in your notes, angel, which is a messenger of God. The reason I showed you this angelos word is because evangelist in our English dialect has A-N-G-E-L in the middle. In fact, the Greek word euangelion for the gospel and the Greek word euangelist for evangelist both have A-N-G-E-L in the middle of the word. Do you see that on the screen, yes or no? Okay, so obviously the Greek word for gospel and the Greek word for evangelist are going to have some type of a messenger from God in it. Do you understand how we derive that, right? Angelos is angel, the messenger of God. Then you have euangelion, which is the gospel or good news. Now that word euangelion is actually referring to Jesus, the angel. Now in the Old Testament you see it says an angel of God. Whenever it says the angel, it's referring to Jesus in the Old Testament. He is the angel who only has good news from the king. Jesus never comes with bad news. It's good news. I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. That's good news, right? Euangelist, evangelist, is the person who delivers or announces the good news. So the gospel is Jesus, and I'm going to prove this to you in a second. The gospel is Jesus, and the evangelist is the person who delivers Jesus. The gospel is not the person who comes around telling the stories that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John told about Jesus. The evangelist comes along and delivers what Jesus has shown him or her. I have Jesus in me. I'm going to deliver him. Let me show you some Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. Again, I'll get to my point. 2 Samuel 18.27 says this. The king said he is a good man. That's evangelist. And he comes with good news. There's the gospel. Do you see the difference? He's carrying the good news and he delivers the good news. Um, in the Old Testament, um, when there was something good that was going to happen, they would send a messenger from town to town to town with a message. 
you know, the king is coming to visit your village. And then he'd run to the next town and he'd say it, and they would send someone from their town to the next town and on and on, right? That's what the scripture referring to. Somebody that has good news from the king. Maybe they'd come by and they'd say, um, the king isn't going to make y'all pay any taxes for the next month. That'd be good news, right? Maybe, would it be good news or not? Can, can you, can you, can't you see President Biden doing that for us? That would be, no, it's good. Okay, anyway, and so... So let's say on our, have you ever turned on the news and ever seen any good news? Uh, anyway, so let's pretend like you turn on the news today and the announcer says, President Biden is retiring, President Trump is not running for president, but Ronald Reagan is the new president. Woo, everybody would be excited. That's good news, right? I'm joking around, but you understand what I'm saying? They, come, they, they only bring good news. Okay, let me show you another scripture. Mark 1.14, Jesus came to Galilee preaching, there's the evangelist, the gospel or the good news, there's Jesus, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. So the gospels are not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were not called the gospels until the second century. And here's why. They called it the gospels because of what Mark 1, 1 says. But anyway, they're not the gospels. The gospel those Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is the gospel told by Matthew or the gospel told by Mark or the gospel told. That is Jesus told or delivered by those people. Are you with me so far? Okay, so if the gospel itself is Jesus, here's why this is important. If I am unsaved, if I am a sinner in need to go to heaven, if my, if my soul is healthy and dirty and disgusting, I don't need someone to come and tell me the stories of Jesus. I need someone to bring me Jesus. I don't need the story of Jesus walking on water. I need you to deliver Jesus himself to me. That is the gospel. Jesus being delivered to someone, that is the evangelist delivering the gospel. Let me keep going. John 20, 18, the first true evangelist in the Bible was a woman. And that's because if you want to get the word out, you telegraph, you telephone, or you tell a woman. Right, okay, so John 20, 18. That was a lot better than you think. Mary Magdalene found the disciples, and she announced to them, there's evangelist, the good news, there's Jesus. I have seen the Lord. I'm announcing what I saw. I've seen the Lord. Okay, here's my point. Every one of you in this room who are saved, you carry the gospel with you everywhere you go. The problem is getting you to announce it. You are carrying the good. You have eternity in your soul. But the problem we find is you won't deliver it to anybody. Don't be like the postal worker who carries the mail around all day but never delivers it. Many Christians carry the good news, they never deliver it, and it's because we feel weird and awkward, and I'm going to cover that in points two and three, or we feel condemned if we don't do it, and all that kind of stuff, but you're carrying eternity in your soul, all you got to do is deliver it to somebody, and I'm going to show you how easy it is in points two and three. Before I do, I want to tell you a story. So I love reading um, people's testimonies, I love it, it builds my faith. And there's this pastor in Texas who tells a true story of how he got saved. He was a young guy, and his, um, his parents died or something early and left him this little frame shack house, like in the woods, in the country somewhere. And he turned into a drug addict, and he was getting drunk every night doing drugs. And people would try to tell him about Jesus, and he didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They'd invite him to church, didn't want to do nothing. 
Somebody gave him a little New Testament Bible one time, and he didn't care about that either, just sat on the shelf. Well, one day, he's high on drugs, he's drunk as a skunk, and he got so depressed, he thought, I'm just going to kill myself, and my life's going to be over. So the way he wanted to die was he was going to burn himself to death by sticking his head in the oven, which he later tells the story he was so high he never turned the oven on. But anyway, he stuck his head in the oven, and uh, when he put his head in the oven, he started screaming, God, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And then he said, God, I need you to save me, save me, save me. And then he started screaming, I believe, I believe. And he's tears crying, I believe, Jesus, I believe, I believe. And just like that, he sobered up, gave his life to Christ. He, he got saved. He didn't know what to do, so he grabbed the little New Testament Bible and started reading, you know, the, the Gospel of John. He read two or three chapters, and his drug buddy comes over to his house to do drugs a few hours later. And this guy's still in tears and still can't believe he's saved. And the drug buddy says, man, I got some drugs. He said, I don't do drugs anymore. I don't have a desire for drugs. Jesus, save me. And the drug guy says, well, I want to be saved. And here's what he said. He said, well, come over here in the kitchen. Put your head in the oven. Stick your head in the oven. And the guy sticks his head in the oven. He says, I don't want to die either. I want to be saved. I want to believe. I believe. And they both got saved. And the first guy became a pastor is in Texas. Here's what I want to teach you. It wasn't theology that saved him. It wasn't, hey, Jesus walked on water. Hey, there was a blood sacrifice. Hey, there's ten commandments. It was this. Here's how I found Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. He changed my life. He could do the same thing for you. That's evangelism. You don't need a degree to do this. You don't need to know where the dinosaurs went whenever they died. You don't even know where they came from. All you have to do is announce the Jesus in you. That's it. Okay, point number two for you is this. I can evangelize. I can evangelize. Acts 1.8 says this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, now this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by the way. And for most people, this is after water baptism and salvation. Uh, sometimes it happens at the same time, but for most people, after you're water baptized and saved, then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which empowers you. It says in Acts 1.8, you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now here's what scares Christians when you say, hey, you need to go out and do witnessing. It doesn't say do witnessing. It says you'll be a witness. There's a difference. Uh, witnessing is something that you do, but a witness is someone who you are. Fact for your notes, you can write it down. A witness is someone who has personally seen and heard something and communicates it. In other words, whatever Jesus has done for you, that is that you are a witness. If he's done anything for you, you're a witness. It's about what you've seen and what you've heard. And here's why. Nobody can argue that. Nobody can argue, you know, theology about that or all, all. They can't argue what you've seen and what you've heard. Let me show you witnesses in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is a witness for heaven. John 3.31, he who comes from heaven testifies of what he has seen and heard. Watch these words. The shepherds at the birth of Jesus were witnesses. Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Disciples of John, Luke 7, 22, tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, and the good news is preached to the poor. The disciples of Jesus after the resurrection, Acts 4, 20, we cannot stop speaking of the things we have seen and heard. So do you see what a witness is? Okay, listen, evangelism is sharing your story. Um, I think, I believe, according to the New Testament and bearing fruit, that we're supposed to be productive. The most productive evangelists in the world are simply people who share their story. 
When Jerry Savelle was here, he talked about the favor of God on his life. When Joyce Meyer evangelized, she talks about how God changed her attitude. It's all about what God did in your life. So, 25 years after Saul turned to Paul. Now, Paul, for those of you who know, the great apostle Paul, one of the most intelligent men of his day, incredibly high IQ. He could have been an apologist and out-debated anyone on theology. He could have won any argument, but he doesn't do that. All he does is share his story. Acts 22.6, as I was traveling near Damascus, a bright light flashed suddenly around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? Remember, it blinded him. Then he said, my buddy Ananias said, see again. And at that moment, I could see. Ananias told me, God's chosen you to be a witness for him to tell everyone what you have seen and heard. Now see, the enemy's greatest lie when it comes to evangelism is to tell you you don't have a good enough story to share. That's a lie from the devil. If, you, if all your story is, is I used to be really messed up and I'm not as messed up as I used to be, that's a good story. That's a good story. Um, I had a bunch of young men when I was in my 20s who we would get together and sharpen each other. And one time we were together doing a Bible study and, uh, my, my, and we were sharing about our testimonies. And I said, you know, I was a felon and I was a thief and, and God saved me. And, you know, and then my next buddy, I was on drugs and all this stuff. And that's when I, I went to jail. Well, my one buddy, Chris, he said, man, I don't have a good story like y'all. He said, I was raised in church. I got saved when I was a kid. I've been serving God ever since. I've never been to jail, never done drugs, never had pornography issues. Man, I wish I was like y'all. I said, Chris, you got a great story. That is the grace of God in your life since you were a child. Your story is God has protected me all these years, all through high school at Socastee. God protected me. That's a good testimony right there. That's a great testimony. I was on the Elsa Kurt show this past week. Uh, she's a wonderful one. We've we become friends. She does social media stuff, and we put it on our website or somewhere for y'all to see. But anyway, uh, I think she's about my age, maybe a little younger, maybe early 40s. And uh, she just recently got saved, gave her life to Christ. And so she normally interviews me, but this past week I kind of interviewed her because I wanted to hear about, um, you know, what did you think about Christians before and all this stuff. And she said, you know what, my story isn't really that good. She said, I, I wasn't hitting rock bottom. My marriage was fine. We had money in the bank. I wasn't in the hospital or sick. You know, and I just recognized I, I, I'm, something's missing. I need Jesus. And she said, I gave my life to Christ. I said, Elsa, that's an incredible story. You weren't in prison. You weren't rock bottom. You weren't dying of cancer and called out to God. You had everything you quote unquote thought you needed, but you recognized you still need Jesus. That's a good story. Share that with somebody. Do you understand? I need you to be empowered with your story today. I need you to start taking notes on what God's done in your life so when it comes up in conversation, you can share it with somebody because they can never debate or argue with you on what God's done in your life. They can say, well, do you need to be baptized or not? I don't know. And you can talk about the Ten Commandments or the 613 Commandments. I don't know. Well, what book should I read? I don't. What translation of the Bible? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. That's what God did in my life. So um, Paul, um, he starts meeting with King Agrippa. And, you know, you think, okay, this is where Paul's really going to get theological and really share all these details on grace and all this different stuff. He didn't. He just goes back to his story, Acts 26, 13, on the road to Damascus. I saw a light brighter than the sun. 
I heard a voice. To this very day, God's been helping me, so I'm here as a witness. King Agrippa said to Paul, you think I'm going to be a Christian just like that? Paul said, you know what, whether just like that or longer, my prayer is that you will become what I am. He just kept going back to his story. Um, after church, let's say you, you go eat lunch over here at Market Common at a restaurant. And you get out of your car, you're walking in the restaurant, and all of a sudden you hear tires screech. And you, you turn, and um, you see that someone ran the stop sign and hit another car. You, you see the whole thing take place. You wait there for a little bit, and then you see the policeman, and the policeman comes and says, did you see what happened? You say, yeah, I did. And he says this, if we go to court, will you be a witness? Will you be a witness? You say, well, yes, uh, yeah, I'll come share. What else? Now, to be a witness, do you need to go to automotive school to be able to be a witness of what happened in that wreck? Do you need to be a policeman or a policewoman to find out how fast they should have been going and how, what they should and what kind of ticket they need, any of that stuff? All you got to do is say what you saw and what you heard. That's it. Now, here's my question. Are you a witness or do you plead the fifth? Because a lot of Christians plead the fifth. See, nobody can argue my story. I, for the rest of my life, I know God is supernatural. Because when I was 11 years old, I prayed on a Friday night. Teach me how to play the piano. On a Saturday, I could read sheet music and play the piano. You'll never take that away from me. Now, you might argue and debate some stuff that I preach and whatever, right and wrong. That's fine. You'll never, ever, ever, ever be able to convince me God is not supernatural. Because I saw it, I was there, and I'm a witness. And I'll share it with anybody that will listen to me. That's where, um, when my son Asher, in, in 2008, when he was born, he had a malformation in his spinal cord, and we were at MUSC for months. The doctors told us he was going to die. We slowly watched his body stop working from his feet all the way, gradually, day after day, all the way up to where, and he was screaming, and he, was not, he would not stop screaming in pain, no matter how much morphine they gave him as a little infant baby, and to the point where finally, the only thing left moving was his eyes. So he couldn't scream, but we could see in his eyes that he was in horrible pain. And then finally his eyes stopped working. The nurses at that point would not even look us in the eyes because they knew in their mind where well, their child is going to die and I don't want to you know, be connected to them emotionally. I just need to take care. The doctors told us he's going to die. He goes into surgery. They come out. They said, we don't know how it happened. And it was a guy. He had a big old turban on his head. And I, I won't do the accent, although I can do a very good accent. Of, I'm not going to do it. But anyway, and, and he said, we don't see it. We don't want to understand this. They said, um, it, it looked like it. We, we, we've never seen a thing like this in that spot. He came. He said, but y'all are going to be here for three months for us to see if we'll ever walk again, if we'll ever move again. Three days later, everything worked. And they sent us home. So listen. You can't take that away from me. I'll meet anybody that's got cancer, they're depressed, they're, they got whatever sickness, and I can say this, well, I know God can heal because I saw him do it to my son and I was there. Now, now, listen, when you leave here, you can tell somebody, hey, God healed my pastor's son. But just so you know, that would be inadmissible in court because that's hearsay. But if you'll share what he's done in your life, that'll never be taken away from you. Never be taken away from you. And so many times we look to the negative, we think about the negative. God has done so much for us. But we keep pleading the fifth. We keep pleading the fifth. So, I want to share with you a Bible story. It's pretty long. It's from John chapter 9. I want to show you about a guy who had a story. 
And I want to show you how religious people sometimes want to debate or argue or try to ruin your story, but you hold on to it at all costs, okay? John 9, 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. The disciples said, who sinned for this man to be born blind, him or his parents? Jesus said, this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so the works of God might be displayed. And real quick, religious people, they always talk about the sin. What the disciples should have said was, Lord, we've seen you walk on water. We've seen you raise the dead. Will you heal this man? Will you do something in his life like we've seen you do in our life? We know you can do it, Jesus. Will you please make his life better? That's what they should have said. It goes on in verse 6. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground when you love for Jesus to heal you this way. And make mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, real quick. I know we like to picture Jesus carrying the sheep and picture him, you know, saying, Lazarus, raised the... have you ever pictured Jesus going, <laughs> he just did it. Then he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I bet the guy was thinking, well, I didn't need to wash till you halt the loogie on my face. It's a good thing he was blind and couldn't see what Jesus was doing. So Jesus, so Jesus said, so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Okay, simple story. I was blind. He spit on me. I was healed. Let's go home and enjoy life, right? Okay, watch the arguing. Watch the confusion. Verse 8, the neighbors, will start with them, who knew he was blind, said, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, I am he. I was there. I'm him. I saw it. He said, they asked him, how were your eyes open? He said this, a man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. That sounds so much holier than hawking a loogie, right? He anointed my eyes and said, go to the pool and wash. So I went and washed, and I could see. They said, where is he? I don't know. Now watch this, verse 13. They brought the former blind man to the Pharisees. So first it's the neighbors, now it's the Pharisees. They asked him again how he received his sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, was this man not from God? Others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So there was division among them. Now, I want to talk about real quick the word division. This is where we get the word in English from this Greek word. We get the word denomination. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about any denomination. I'm just pointing out a true fact. And uh, it comes from the word denomo in Greek, denomo where we get the word denominator. And if you're a math person, what do you do when there's a common denominator? You divide, right? You divide, okay. It's so funny how Christians can be divided over stupid things. Not things that involve, hey, they're healed. God's done a great work. No, stupid things. The paint color on the wall, right? Or what translation of the Bible the pastor's using. Who the pastor picks to preach when he's not there. Are we really going to let stupid things divide us the guy was healed praise God something good happened right okay verse 8 verse um, 18 the Jews now we're at the Jews first neighbors and Pharisees now Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received a sight until they called the man's parents they said is this your son who was blind how does he see his parents said we know he's our son we know he was blind but how he can see we don't know he's of age ask him and he'll speak for himself they didn't like that his answer was, I met Jesus, and I'm different. That's it. I used to be really messed up. I'm not as messed up because of Jesus. 
plain and simple. Verse 24. So again, they called the man who was blind and said, we know this guy, Jesus, is a sinner. Tell us the truth. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I told you already, and you don't listen. Do you want to hear it again so you can be one of his disciples too? That's called a word. That, that's, that's Greek for put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's what that is. Verse 34, here's the sad part. So they kicked him out. But Jesus always goes, always goes to the ones who've been kicked out. Verse 35, Jesus heard they threw him out. When he found him, he basically said this. I'll paraphrase it. Do you believe in God? He said, how can I? He said, the one you're looking at, that's God. He said, Lord, I believe. And he went and worshiped him. Listen, he stuck to his story. And he didn't let anybody take that away from him. Okay? Third point is this. This is a very important point. Only God can save. Here's why I told you this. I, I'm not an evan- I do not have the gift of evangelist at all. I don't preach to non-believers. Yeah, there are other pastors, and I've even heard a lot of the TV pastors, they say, well, I preach to unbelievers. That's because you're an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I preach to believers. Now, unbelievers, they're here, and they can listen, they can learn, but I don't have that desire or gift. Although I'm not an evangelist, I can evangelize. And over the years, because I'm a saint like you, we evangelize. Over the years, I would feel guilty that I'm not winning enough people to Jesus. I think, man, and then I blame, well, I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor, and I blame that. Here's the thing, I learned, and I'll show you, that we don't all do the reaping. Some of us do the praying, some of us do the inviting, some of us do the passing out tracts. You understand? We all have a part in it. We're a team to win people to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plant, but God's the one that makes it grow. In fact, he says, the one who plants, the one who really waters, they don't even matter. It's God who matters because he makes the plant grow. For we are partners working together. Evangelizing is like being part of a team. There's coaches, there's cheerleaders, and I wrote this down so I'd be correct. There's a point guard, there's a center person. I don't know if they're called a person, but there's a center something. And there's a shooting guard. Okay, the coach doesn't do the shooting guard. And the cheerleaders doesn't do the center person. They all have a different position, right? Okay, so listen, my part might be inviting them to church. Your part might be um, telling them how you got, whatever it is. As long as you're willing to share your story, and I'm going to show you how easy that is to do, but I don't want you to feel bad if people aren't coming to Jesus right in front of you. We all have a different part. Do you understand what I'm trying to, my burden on this, okay? Um, just don't plead the fifth. So I want to show you an acronym for the word SALT. Because the Bible says that we are to be the salt of the earth. Okay, so for your notes, salt is this. S is start a conversation. I do this all the time. You know, as waiters, waitresses, wherever you're at. How long you been in Myrtle Beach? Do you like what you do? Um, You know, tell me about your family. Whatever, start a conversation. You ask questions. That's A. Ask, 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 ask questions. And then L, you listen. Don't, Don't be some weirdo that says, let me tell you about the blood. Let me, that, that's as weird as if, if someone came to you and said, hey, um, I want to tell you about Thor. He's got a big old hammer, and when he throws it, it comes back to him. And when he swings it around, it makes him fly. And if you'll believe, then you'll fly too. 
That is just as weird as some Christians trying to quote-unquote evangelize about the blood, the lamb, the Ten Commandments, that they, why this is wrong. They don't understand that. You just look weird. You look like one of those, I hope none of y'all do this, but the, the makeup ladies in the mall, when you walk by and they try to hand you something real quick, and you, you, just, you pretend like you're on your phone when you walk by so you don't have to even say no to them, or you look at the other store. What's going, none of y'all do that? Am I the only one that does that? Y'all are bold enough to just say, no, thank you. Not me. I'm just like, oh. And, uh, but anyway, that's what it's like. So, so you ask questions. You listen, listen, listen. And then, listen, out of sheer politeness, they're going to ask you a question. They'll say, oh, well, how long have you been in Myrtle Beach? And that's when you tell your story. Well, and it can be two sentences, right? Well, I used to live up north, and then I came to Myrtle Beach, and I found a great church, and Jesus has just changed my life. Period. Or, um, well, how long have you been in Beach? Well, I, I've been here for 20 years, but so-and-so got sick, got cancer, they passed away, but I know they're in heaven because they believed in Jesus before they did. What a, or what, whatever your story is, that's how you, it, it doesn't need to be a paragraph. It can be two sentences to open up the door. Just plant a seed. Just They might not get saved that day, but the seed has been planted, right? Plant a seed, water here, there, and God will be the one to make it grow because only God can save. And we're naive for thinking that we can save people. So, I'll tell you a story and then I'll let you go. Um, when I first got saved, my first goal was to call all my friends from high school. And no, actually, it wasn't. No, I first got saved, and then when I later on when I went to plant a church, that's when I called all my friends from high school. And I said, "Man, I got saved a while back. Y'all need to get saved and come to church." And I said, y'all need to stop smoking pot. I said to every one of them. And none of them stopped smoking pot, but they did come to church. And a lot of them got saved. But there was this one kid named Nick. And um, I'll put his name. And Nick, um, he was a bad dude. I mean, he was bad. He was always, he loved to fight. Anytime there was a fight, you know, we knew Nick was involved. We'd always go because we knew he'd win. Good fighter. He was drugs and in and out of jail. And I tried to invite him to church. And. I'd try to pray for him, and I'd try everything I could, and he just would not come to Jesus, would not come to Jesus. And one day I saw him, um, had a bad family, family just horrible, background bad. So I saw him in a gas station. He didn't know it was me. I was getting gas, and he comes up behind me and says, hey, man, can I bum a few dollars off of you? And I turned around and I said, oh, it's you, John Paul. He said, you're a pastor now, aren't you? You'll, you'll give me some money, won't you? <clears throat> I said, yeah, I'll give you some money. And I pulled out some money, pulled out $20. And just so you know, if you're holding money in your hand, that person will listen to anything you got to say, as long as you don't hand it over. You just hold it and let them see it while you're talking, right? So this is my chance. I pulled out the money, and I went and said, well, I said, let me talk to you for a minute. I said, um, I said, is there something I can pray with you about? I said, I know your mom's not doing good health-wise, I heard. And what I said, yeah, so we prayed. And I said, you know, I'd love to, for you to come to church. Nah, I'll be there, I'll be there. I said, okay. I said, I'm telling you, Jesus will change your life, man. I said, it, it, it won't be perfect, but it'll be perfect on the inside. You'll have a way to heaven. Just let me tell you. No, no, man, just give me the money. Just give me the money. So I gave him the money, and that was it. I thought, man, this kid, he's never going to heaven. Fast forward about, I don't know, a year or two later, I'm at the Myrtle Beach Convention Center, and long story short, Nick is down at the altar, sobbing his eyes out uncontrollably, giving his heart to Jesus. Now, let me start in the beginning of the story. The story actually starts in April 21st, 1885. In 1885, there was a shoe shop assistant named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, he uh, was a Sunday school teacher at his church, 
And uh, the teenagers in church, they'd, they'd fall asleep in church because the pastor was boring. But Ed Kimball, he taught them Sunday school beforehand, and he'd make it so interesting. I and mean, he would study all week to pour into these teenagers. Just four or five teenagers would be there, but they loved it. One day, one of the teenagers came to his shoe shop where he was working and started asking him questions about salvation, and Ed leads this kid to the Lord. This kid was 16 years old, and his name was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody became a great evangelist of his day, and one day at one of his services, he had an altar call, and a man named Frederick Meyer came forward and gave his life to Christ. Frederick Meyer had this vision, this apostolic vision to go to colleges and to witness to college students. So he'd just go around telling his story, man, I went to this one church service, I got saved, Jesus radically changed my life, and he's ministering to these college students, and one of the college students was J.W. Chapman. J.W. Chapman grew up and became a minister to athletes. He had the heart to go to different sporting events and ask pastors, I mean, ask uh, coaches if he could pray with the players beforehand and just share his story and things like that. And one day he shared his story and a baseball player named Billy Sunday gave his heart to the Lord. Billy Sunday had this idea that he was going to use his popularity and his, um, his, his prosperity in the area of finances to fund different evangelistic events. And so one day, Billy Sunday funded a revival in North Carolina and paid for the speaker, Mordecai Ham, to come and speak. At Mordecai Ham's altar call, this tall, white, skinny, lanky teenager named Billy Graham comes forward and gives his life to Christ. Billy Graham grows up and becomes the greatest evangelist in the history of America, leading more than five million people to the Lord. One of those five million people was a man named Jesse Duplantis. Jesse Duplantis was in his hotel, high on drugs, drunk on whiskey, turning on the TV, and he sees a Billy Graham episode come on. At the end of the Billy Graham special, Billy Graham gives the altar call, and Jesse Duplantis in the hotel room gets on his knees and invites Jesus to be the Lord of his life. Jesse Duplantis had a heart for ministry, but his heart was just, he was an evangelist, but he was a comedic evangelist. In other words, he just goes around telling funny stories and getting people to like him, and then he says, okay, you need Jesus. Jesse Duplantis was one of the guys I would listen to when I first got saved, and he held a big Christian event at the Myrtle Beach Convention Center that I went to. I was on the front row, and little did I know that my buddy Nick thought that he was breaking into a concert. He breaks into the convention center thinking it's a concert. It's a Christian event with Jesse Duplantis. He's on the very top row. Jesse gives an altar call. And my friend Nick, out the corner of my eye, man, I spent 10 years trying to win him to Jesus. All the work I did, the money, the prayer, the evangelism, going to his house, everything, that was all just seeds. Because that day when Jesse Duplantis said, if you want to give your life to Christ, come forward. Nick comes running from the top all the way to the bottom. I mean, snot pouring out of his face. I thought I was seeing things. He gave his life to Christ, and now my buddy Nick goes around saying, I thought I was breaking into a concert. Little did I know that was the day Jesus would completely change my life. That one story is his testimony. Someone plants, someone waters, someone, but only God can be the one to make it grow. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to give a chance for the Holy Spirit to speak to you directly. 
because I don't have the gift of an evangelist, it could be that our church family has um, is not as strong as we need to be in this area. I'm thankful for the evangelists we do have, uh, Bernie, Bruna, Nabil, a lot, of, a lot of you in here. But I want you to have your story, and I want you to take it with you everywhere you go. And I believe if you'll pray about it today, God will give you your story in just two, three sentences. It won't be an offensive story. It won't be a theological story. It won't be a story that anybody can debate. It'll be, this is what God did in my life, so I know he can do this for you. I know that God can heal because I saw him heal my son. I know God is supernatural because he taught me to play the piano in one night. I know, I've seen it. I was there. So if you're here today and you want to stop pleading the fifth, and you want God to help you with your story, can you just lift your hand so I can pray for you right now? Hands up. Lord, thank you so much for giving us a story. Thank you so much for what you've done in our life. We repent for not being more willing and open to share that story, to carry and deliver the gospel. So Lord, give us the boldness, the courage, the right timing and the right words and the right attitude to share our story any and every chance we get. And I thank you, Lord, that everyone in this room, whether their hand is raised or not, everyone in this room can leave here with a story. Even if you're like the, the guy that was blind, even he, God healed before he was saved. Before he was saved, Jesus healed him. So God's already done stuff in all of your lives. And, and if you're not saved, then right now, just under your breath, just say, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Change, my, change the, the, the polarity of my heart. Give me the desire to serve you. Give me the desire to want you. Give me the desire to put you first. Thank you, God, for doing what only you can do in this place and in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's